Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Tuesday, October 25th, the last Tuesday of the month, as it turns out. Next Monday being Halloween, one of my favorite holidays. You're watching Market Call. I'm Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. Today's Market Call is brought to you by our sponsor, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity, and our data partners, FactSet, and the production team, Dan, at Open Exchange. Now, a lot of people were a tad exorcised yesterday as we did a show on Sirius XM, I believe it's channel 132, their business station. For one hour, we took calls and people were like, OMG, are you never come? We're back, people. It's all good. How are you? I'm doing great. That was fun, guy. And and again, uh, you know, to to some of our loyal listeners, some loyal viewers here, we had the opportunity to get on there and do a sort of call in show. It's not what we do here, but we like to do it under that market call. Um, I don't know, like umbrella, if you will, because maybe, moniker. Hey, guy, who knows? Maybe we'll do some more interactive sort of stuff. But you guys, you got to check it out. We tweeted out the link. You know, just so you know, we're not getting paid. We're not chilling for anybody. Um, I'm a huge Sirius XM fan. I use their product in the car, on the app, everything. We had the opportunity to do this. So we tried it out, and we did it. We're back. We're going to be doing Market Call the same way. We're going to do a, a bonus one on Friday at 11 a.m. So check the at MRKT call twitter feed and get the login information for that so that's gonna be a bonus one today but guy you got serious serious radio chops buddy Mm -hmm. well i will tell you um as i've said a thousand times i absolutely love radio it feels like i've listened to enough over my 58 years and it is 58 dan wow that i actually can somewhat do it in my sleep and the fact that we were able when they told us before the show started they said you want music coming in i'm like what (laughs) And then I said, absolutely. I said, starting out with Zeppelin, we came in the communication breakdown. We took a break with David Bowie. We came back with Leonard Skinnerd. I was, I, I can't even tell you how excited I was. And it was, a lo- it was a lot of fun. And the call lines were filled the entire hour. People were getting busy signals. I know that because a lot of people called me and said they weren't able to get through. So maybe there's something there. Who knows? But we're not going any place in terms no. of our 1 p.m. show. And we're here, and I will tell you, Dan, in terms of the market, I, as you know, I get stuff wrong all the time. But since you know that move in June when the market rallied 18% from the middle of June to the middle of August, then the subsequent sell-off, and now we're in seemingly embarking on a similar type rally, I think we've done a decent job navigating. It's very difficult to be tactical in this market, but that's what we've been attempting to do at least. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, you used to say that a lot. It's like a self-deprecating thing. I get a lot of things right. Hey, listen, if you've been in the markets, okay, everybody knows. You can have like just over a 50% hit ratio and you can be very profitable. It's about risk management, right? It's about changing your mind when you're wrong and all that sort of stuff. But I will tell you this. You don't say that an awful lot. Uh, you haven't said it an awful lot in 2022 because you got a lot of things right here from the stock market to commodities um, to yields. I love doing Tuesdays with you guys. It's 
just the two of us. It's like a CME. Song. Sure. It, just like the song. It's a CME day. And you know, it's funny. I always get nostalgic quoting the S&Ps in futures terms because when I started in the business at a hedge fund in 1997, I was trading a lot of futures. I was an assistant trader and I was on the phone with the CME, a broker on there all the time. So for me, when we get to quote the markets in futures terms, whether it be the S&P or the NAS, it's always a lot of fun. Let's look at this NASDAQ chart really quickly, or um, because again, tonight we have two massive components of the NASDAQ 100 here. You see this kind mm -hmm. of futures chart, you see the downward sloping 200 day, you see that, um, you know, that obviously very well defined downtrend. We've been pointing that uh, for a while, but the 50 day is really interesting to me, Guy. The S&P is at the 50 day, but the NASDAQ is not. And we have Microsoft and Google after the close tonight. These are what, two or th almost $3 trillion in market cap here. There's concern about enterprise spending um, for Microsoft, concern about digital ad spending for Google. Both of them have a lot of dollar exposure. How do you think this one plays out here? We're going to look at those names individually, but the NASDAQ chart, you know, it's come, what, 8 9% off of those lows. Yeah. There's still a ways to go to get to that downtrend and the downward sloping 200-day. I'm hard-pressed to believe we're going to get to that downtrend line, although, as you know, with each passing day, that line gets lower and lower by definition. Obviously, sloping downward each day, you get a little bit closer um, to where we are now, just in terms of how that plays itself out. The 50-day moving average, we thought, I don't want to say a foregone conclusion because there's an arrogance to that, but we actually thought it could trade up to it. It has. In terms of the relevance of the names you just mentioned, extraordinarily important, and what I find really interesting, and we'll take a look at Microsoft in a second, but you know, we find Microsoft pretty much right back to where it was last time they reported. Yeah. Now, in terms of what are they going to say, last time they made no mention of demand destruction. As a matter of fact, they said they weren't seeing any, which is the reason why the stock reversed that early sell-off post-market earnings to the relative, um, you know, basically outperformed the broader market up to 298 or so yeah. from, I want to say, you know, mid-June into August. So. You know, here we are. I, I got to believe this is the quarter where they start making reference to the fact that they're seeing some deterioration uh, in terms of demand. We'll see because we've heard from a lot of companies that if you start to connect the dots, it should all really fall into the lap of Microsoft. Yeah, so if you think of some of the semi-commentary we've heard, some of the memory commentary, the exposure to PCs, I mean, not a great place to be. You see that downtrend that Microsoft um, has been in from its highs, you know, late last year or so. Um, we're kind of in no man's land. And, you know, I'll just say this, and in a market like this that seems a bit squeezy, Guy, um, it seems like a tough road to hoe to be too convicted into the print. I kind of feel like that, you know, if they put up a better than expected quarter in guidance, the stock is going to obviously move back towards that downtrend. But if it is a disappointing quarter, if we see some kind of further deceleration in the cloud business and we see, you know, some commentary that is kind of about, you know, just basically weak PC demand, maybe it's geographic, that sort of thing. You know, the stock's going to be headed back lower towards that lower bounce. I think you and I would both agree you get this thing back towards, you know, 250 or something like that. Well, well I mean, you know, we, we're, excuse Excuse me. I mean, like 200. We're about yeah. 250. You know, that's a level that you and I would kind of fully endorse buying with with both arms with a longer term time horizon. But again, who needs to play a quarter right now if you are positively inclined? If you start with a small position, we'll talk about that a little bit. How I've been trading Snap. It's kind of how we talked about on Market Call how I was trading Nike into the print. Sometimes just having a small position that kind of signifies the direction in which you're going. You know, at least you're there if you 
you get it right out of the gate. But if you're wrong and investors shoot first and ask questions later, you're still in the game. You still have the ability to trade out of a position. No question about it. I mean, Netflix is a really good example of something you did as well. That's playing out the way I think you thought it would. But let's take quickly go back to that Microsoft chart, because, you know, if you look at the lower end of that bound, that that sort of leveled at 225 level, we traded down to October 13th. I mean, you basically touched the lower end of that downtrend of that channel and we bounce. So what do you do right here? To be honest with you, I don't think you do anything right here. I think you wait and see what the report suggests. If the stock bounces, I think you're looking for levels to get out if you're long or maybe even to establish a short position vis-a-vis options or put calls or put spreads or something like that. On the downside, if it were to fail, you look for another test of that downtrend, that that downtrend line, the lower end of the channel, and try to your point, buy it for a trade. So this channel's been the way to trade it and nothing to me has changed at all. And when you're in the middle of the channel, you're basically flipping a coin. Yeah, well, that 220, that was the reversal on that Thursday two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that $200 level, which was a consolidation support level from the back half of 2020. I mean, if it failed at 220, that's where I thought it was going a couple of weeks ago. Let's look at the S&P futures chart here really quickly, Guy, because, you know, when I was doing these charts just a bit ago, it was interesting to me when I was looking at that 50-day moving average. So back in mid-July, right as we were getting into the meat of earnings season, you know, the S&P broke um, above that, that mm-hmm. purple line, that 50 day moving average and really obviously went much higher you know for the next few weeks or so and here we are now we're right at that 50 day and again you know if we have a lot of the earnings commentary that we've seen so far is playing out very similarly to Q2 in late July is that estimates had come down our main man John Butters over there at FactSet the earnings insight blog you know he's been detailing how S&P has had seen earnings estimates declined greater than the average over the last call it year or multiple years or so so when you have poor sentiment okay and you have estimates coming down and you have companies not coming in as bad as those estimate cuts what do you get you get stocks that are beaten up rallying a little bit so Mm -hmm. that could be how we're setting up that's what you've been talking about here maybe a move to 4100 but not taking out those august highs. yeah i don't think so and look as you point out we're right at the 50 day and the last time we closed above it you saw what happened you had that obviously knee-jerk reaction in july into august and then subsequently failed and we made new lows and i think that's sort of what we're setting up for now now this gets a little bit dicey here because you, know, you get a couple of bad quarters out of some of these names. And obviously, this 50 day is going to be uh, the upper end of the range. And we're probably going to trade off. I happen to think there's still some legs in this thing. And I've said it for the last week and a half or so. You know, I could envision the market continuing to rally into the midterm elections post midterm. I think all bets are off. And that makes sense on a number of different levels. So we'll see. But to your point, this is how you trade these things. And you know, you're right now at a basically line of demarcation. I think you let price be your guide. And I know people hate hearing that, but you sort of, again, find yourselves in no man's land right here. You have to see how this thing shakes out because if we close above, I think it's going to be not a straight shot to that downtrend line, but it's going to be pretty close. And if 
we fail here, without question, we're going to take out those recent lows. Yeah, no, I feel like this is going to be a really telling week for how, you know, we kind of end this year. I mean, if we are able to get better than expected results from all these major tech names after we saw some decent results out of the bank stocks. And again, this is not me changing my tune. I don't I'm a lot more bearish on the economy than I am in the market at this moment right here. And last week on market call, when the market was, you know, at least three or four percent lower. OK, I said, listen, they better hold here because if they break, they're going much lower here. And so they obviously did hold. And now you have a bit of a rally on your hands. You got to think about the data that we're going to start to see, how the Fed is going to come out. How are they going to be speaking coming out of that November 2nd meeting next week? I mean, these are all the ingredients that could obviously have the market continue to rally to the levels that you have identified. I'm just not that convicted one way or the other at this moment. I still remain bearish. I don't think the stock market put in the low of this cycle. But I'm going to use some of these rallies as opportunities to get short. Here's one guy <clears throat> that I don't want to short. And we've been talking about this. Russell 2000, mm -hmm. small caps, okay? And we talked about it last week on the market call. Look at the Russell 2000 futures here. They never made a new 52-week low as the S&P and as the NASDAQ did earlier this month. And look at today's outperformance, up nearly 3% versus the S&P up a little less than 1.5% and the NASDAQ up a little more or a little less than 2%. What does this tell you here about the economic environment we're in with this surging dollar, with high rates, with geopolitical stuff going on all over the place well it's i tell you what first of all the relative strength is somewhat puzzling again given the what you just outlined the, the landscape is not good should theoretically not be good for small cap names then you start to think about it and you say well may, maybe a lot of it is predicated on the fact that small caps don't have the maybe currency headwinds that some of these bigger companies have and those types of things which is why you're seeing the relative outperformance but to your point that low we made, we did not take out that prior low, which is a good sign, short-term double bottom. Again, this is a chart like the others we showed, probably trends up to that downtrend, and then you have another look. By the way, the moving average here is effectively the downtrend line. So I don't know if you can make a comment on the economy or the state of the economy, because I still think uh, we're in a miserable situation. It probably gets worse before it gets better in terms of the economy. But there's no denying that there's been an outperformance in the small caps uh, for the last couple of weeks. By the way, EY from SoFi has pointed that out as well. Yeah, LY from SoFi has pointed that out. You know, Guy, one of the things that I find really interesting as we are now about a week away from that November 2nd Fed meeting is, you know, I think the most important chart for the stock market, and, and maybe this sounds kind of goofy, is the 10-year U.S. Mm -hmm. Treasury yield. And I know that, again, why it's goofy is because maybe we've been saying that for about a year or so, but it's this point in time. You see that uptrend that has been in place from about 2.6 seven percent okay that was in early august here we got above i don't know four and a quarter uh maybe 430 intraday um last week a little bit if we were to break this uptrend which really is around four percent let's just say the fed they do that 75 basis point hike we can throw up the cme fed watch tool here right now it's basically saying that's what they're doing next week when they go but it really is about december and where rates top out at this point and the 10-year again it's obviously less 
sensitive to Fed funds, okay, but it might also be telling about expected growth and the and the likelihood of a recession. And so to me, you know that I've had a short yields trade on via long GOVT, that is a, a, a ETF that tracks U.S. Treasuries here. So if I'm long that, I'm making a bearish bet on yields. But guy, that rising 50-day moving average, you see it down there at three and a half or so percent. That's also the breakout level from early September. Do you think we get there soon? Three and a half percent from here is, uh, you gotta say to yourself, all right, if we go to three and a half percent in a 10 year, what's happening in the broader economy and what's happening in the stock market? So under those circumstances, three and a half percent, in my mind, it means that the broader market's probably cratering. The economy's obviously continues to slow down and you're seeing yields go lower and a flight to quality in the form of bonds. That's how I envision it. Now, other people will say it signifies the fact that the Fed is done the broader market is rallying on the back of that and yields are backing up because effectively the Fed has indicated that they're going to take a wait and see approach. Those are the two scenarios. We'll see how that plays out. But three and a half percent is light years from where we are now. But I will tell you that uptrend line that you've drawn, it feels like we're going to violate it. And it definitely feels like we're going to trade down to the 50 day, which probably comes in right north of four percent. And you're seeing, listen, if you're looking at the TLT for you, um, people that trade that, you can see the rally in that. And then obviously through futures, you can see what's going on today as well. So I still think there's some upside in terms of the underlying securities, which means there's going to be pressure to the downside in the form of yields, which sort of backs up the trade you have on right yeah, now. Yeah, and, and I guess going back to the CME Fed Watch tool here, if you look out at those kind of green bars, it's basically saying it's a 50-50 chance between a 50 basis point hike and a mm -hmm. 75. I, I guess I, I'd just be really surprised if they indicate that they're going to go 75. And even just if they were to indicate the likelihood of a 50 at the, at the Fed meeting last week or whatever the language suggests, you know, when you think about it, um, you know, that might might just be enough, you know what I mean, to kind of give mm -hmm. um, the bulls, you know what I mean, a little more confidence to rip them into the close of the year. I just, again, I, I'm not in the camp. I don't think, I don't think you do either, that we break to the upside, that downtrend that has been in place from the start of the year. But we got to talk about the dollar here, guy, because this is one that's obviously taking center stage during earnings season. Much of, obviously, um, the biggest components that are reporting this week in the S&P 500 have a lot of dollar exposure. We know uh, Microsoft, Google, as we just mentioned, Apple probably um, the most, even Amazon here. Look at that. We didn't even have to draw a line on the uptrend. That 50-day has really held like a boss here. And I drove that broke, uh, the breakout level there around 105. I mean, we got to almost 115 in the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index. And again, I don't pretend to have some great knowledge about you know how the dollar should trade against the euro, the pound, the yen, that sort of thing. I'll leave that to some of our much smarter macro friends. But to me, I kind of feel like, man, if we have some tides changing as it relates to what was just going on in the UK. Maybe things in Europe moderate a little bit more. Um, obviously, China is going to do some things probably to support their currency after, you know, the, the kind of weakness here. You know, maybe we do see a US dollar come in a bit. I've been playing this through the UUP, the ETF um, that tracks the US dollar, half of the basket against it 
is the euro. Um, I detailed this trade idea um, a couple trading days ago on Market Call. It was the um, the December 30 puts. I was looking for a move, if you look at the UUP chart, back to 28. So I was risking about 50 cents, possibly to make one and a half over the next two months. I like that risk reward. What yeah, is your and we thoughts? talked about it then. It made a lot of sense. Yeah. It still makes sense. We're right at the 50-day, um, and this has been effectively a trend line, to your point. Uh, there's probably still a little room to the downside, but if we were to close below the 50-day, you have to wonder, you know, how aggressive can this be? And to your point, if the Fed is going to indicate whatever it is that people interpret as a pause or a slowdown, the dollar will sell off on the back of that. And I think to a certain extent, you're starting to see it now. And that will also coincide with yields moving lower, which is what we talked about a few minutes ago. And then you wonder how it sort of coincides with what the broader market does. Maybe that's that last gasp in the S&P back to that downtrend line. But all these things are absolutely lining up, which is why you sort of outlined it this way. All these trades are effectively part and parcel. They're part of a bigger yeah. uh, pastiche, as they say, and it's playing out right before our eyes. I don't think any of these trends are broken. I just think we're seeing the natural back and fill in terms of yields, in terms of the dollar, and I see, think we're seeing the natural bear market bounce in terms of the S&P and Russell. All right, guy, you know how every once in a while you say to Melissa Lee on Fast Money when she says, let's play a game. Oh, and, I like uh, this game. And then you say, I like this game or I'll play your reindeer game when you I'll don't exactly. So I'm DMing right now with our friend Doug Cass of Seabreeze Capital. OK, and he's one of the brightest market minds out there, as you know. And he said, let's play a word association game. He wants oh, I like games. He wants to play it with you. Okay, OK, right here. So gotta, he says, should I close he, my eyes or should I? He says the word. And you respond quickly, okay? okay? So number one, treasuries. What 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 do you say? And this is I'm supposed to just blurt something blurt out. Blurt it out. Blurt it out. Broken. Fine. New York Yankees. Also broken? Um inferior. Risk parity. Nebulous. Jay Powell, and this may take more than a word, but coward. Economic forecast. Worthless. <laughs> Stock market forecast. Equally. <laughs> sentiment. Investor sentiment. Uh I would say uh, I gotta do one word. Year end bullish. Sorry. Okay. No, I got you. Bank stocks. Value traps. Whoa. Value stocks. Value traps. <laughs> Value traps. And then Alan Abelson. And you know he was legend. The legend. There you go. All right. Doug Cast. I mean, that was that was, was fun. That fun? I tried. Yeah. I mean No, I no, no. That was that was good. Um I, and it's always fun to get Let Doug's me know what input. Doug says. And we we appreciate him taking a look at what we're doing. Okay, we went through the Microsoft. We know why we're focused and, and on it. And real quick, you know, I, yeah. I you know, we go back and forth from time to time. This is important. You know, Trading is being fluid. I think you have to have sort of a, a, a longer term view, but in the confines of that longer term view, sometimes things change and it's not necessarily the price that changes your view. It's the it's the circumstances around it. And we made a similar call in June in terms of being overall bearish, but we thought we could see one of those bear market rallies. We got yeah. it to the tune of 19%. It actually went higher than I think both of us thought. 
The subsequent sell-off got us to levels we thought we would trade down to, 3491. We had been talking 3400 in the S&P. And then a couple weeks ago, when we saw those crazy intraday moves, and we talked about you know, the VIX trading up to 34, and over the last however year or so, every time we've seen a move to the VIX of that magnitude, it's basically put in a short-term bottom. So it may appear as though we do these things willy-nilly. I get it, and I'm very respectful of that. But there is some method to our madness, Dan. Anyway, back to you. No, and, and listen, you know, we're talking every day on markets, whether it be on Market Call and Fast Money and on the tape here. And, you know, you tweet a bit. I tweet every once in a while here. I mean, we're trying to be as transparent as possible. You can call us out for being wrong. You can try to give us a pat on the back when we're right. Um, but, again, we're just kind of calling it the way we see it. We've been doing this a long time, and it doesn't mean we're always right. We hear things, you know, the peanut gallery. Would say, ah, if you guys are so good at that, what are you doing on TV? What are you doing on your own shows and this and that, whatever? I mean, listen, it's a young man's game. And I, I, our friend Doug will also tell you that too. It takes a lot of resources, it takes a lot of time. And frankly, I don't want to spend my days staring at fact set machines. I stare at them a lot while the markets are open, but thinking about it 24 7, I'm thinking about the content that we build, how we talk to people, the transparency. And we enjoy this. I got to tell you, I got a lot of friends who sit there at hedge funds or whatever the heck they are they don't love their lives i'm just telling you that right now i loved it when i was in my 20s and 30s i just turned 50 bud and, and it's not how i want to spend my twilight Muzzle, years as, here as my people say i know all right let's let's rip through some stuff here we talked about microsoft i think you and i are both in the camp that let's see what they have to say i suspect it is a mixed bag here and again you know if we see some weakness in enterprise if we see some weakness in decelerating cloud growth that sort of thing despite gaining market share you know, that lower end of that downtrend is 210. And I think that's when people would start getting a bit more comfortable with the multiple if it looks somewhere around 20 times or so. But this is one guy, and you've been really all over this on the Google here as far as valuations concerned. Yes, we get what's going on with digital ads, but we also get their reliance on search and maybe just kind of some of the other bets that they have. Um, maybe this stock is probably, I don't know, a little like beaten up relative to maybe what say some of the social media names should be, but current valuation, current sentiment, look at that thing, it's barely bounced off of the lows. What's your thoughts no. into the print? Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, I've thought Google was a value stock, you know, 25% or so ago, full disclosure. And it's obviously has not traded particularly well, but we are getting a bounce here. But this backdrop, and I said it when Snap reported, I think the company best suited to sort of handle and with sort of withstand and get through the environment that a Snap finds themselves in is a, probably a name like Google, which has far more levers to pull. And it's not as one dimensional as a name like Snap. So, the reason why I like Google on the back of Snap was exactly that, that sometimes the big survive in this environment, and Google clearly is that. And on valuation, yeah, I mean, it's been compelling for a while. It hasn't changed, still compelling. When you back out cash, it's actually, or incorporate cash, I should say, it's cheaper than the valuation suggests sort of on the first glance. And I think there's a chance that even if they just come in in line, it'll be enough given the backdrop of what you've heard from Snap and what you'll probably hear from Facebook. So. I sort of like Google here into this number, and I'm not saying we're going to get to that moving average, but 
you know, I think we can bounce another five or six bucks to the upside. You know, it filled in that gap from its Q4 2020 earnings down there. I think about like $96, $97. There is a consolidation level around 90 That's where I kind of thought it would go, guy, to the downside. And again, you know, even stocks like this that look cheap on the current estimates, if we were to see a guide lower for the current quarter, which is Q4, I just don't know how they guide up, to be very mm-hmm. frank. You know, you're looking at a company that's expected to grow earnings and sales next year in the low teens, uh, 12% expected revenue growth, 13% earnings growth, trading at 18 times. I mean, that for a company not like this, given all the moats that you're talking about, the balance sheet, the management, all that sort of stuff, you know, you'd say, well, that might look a little expensive relative to the market too, but I think versus itself, it's very cheap. So I'm with you. I, I, I'd love to see one more gap in a, in a name mm-hmm. like Google lower. And I think that's when you get in there. All right, here's one away from tech a little bit. Visa, okay, this thing has been in a very well-defined downtrend, um, you know, since the summer of 2021, guy. You look at this thing, I think it topped out somewhere above 250, and here we are, um, you know, in this kind of one, I don't know, where are we, like this kind of, um, you know, 193-ish or something like level. It looks a little washed out. It's below all of those kind of support levels that we saw earlier this year here, that 200-day downward sloping up there at 206. Anything that you've gleaned from some of these financial companies that are reported where you say that these guys could put up a better quarter, they don't have the credit risk that American no, Express it's, spoke it's to. An, we've said it for a while, transaction processing company, it's not coincidence where this topped out. I mean, when valuations didn't matter, people didn't really focus on Visa or for that matter, MasterCard's valuation, which has always been historically very expensive. And then all of a sudden, when people started focus on valuation, Visa, MasterCard, again, to a certain extent, they were not sort of they were not um, insulated from yeah. people being concerned about valuation, right? And they fell under the same sort of auspices as some of these other companies. And it's still an expensive company in this environment. So we're in a very well-defined downtrend. I don't think that's going to change. I do think you can bounce like we've seen before. We've seen a number of bounces to the downtrend line. But my sense is, and this is the way I would look at it, if you've been long this stock, you're looking for a place to get out and you hopefully find it in the way of a bounce post earnings. That's how I look at this and nothing's really changed. All right, here's one that's reporting after the close tonight, and I think it's relative outperformance to its its peers and to the broad market is really interesting. Again, it's Texas Instruments, and you mm-hmm. know the stock was trading at its highs this morning near 165, and now it's about 162. And again, the stock has had um, a nice bounce off of its lows since last week. I think at its lows, it did not make a new 52-week low guy. It traded 146, so here we are at 162. Nice reversal, okay, yeah. if you think about that. You know. This one, though, guys, only down 11% or so on the year. You think of the SMH, we're going to look at that in a second, is down 38%. The NASDAQ is down nearly 30%. They don't have a lot of the exposure, let's say, to some of their semi-peers as it relates to, let's call it um, PCs and and the like that maybe people perceive has had a big pull forward, going to decelerate. And when you think about some of the things we're hearing from some industrial companies where these guys are more uh, exposed, maybe the demand is there as you think about autos and that sort of thing. How do you think about a Texas That's Instruments? It. I mean, it's it's their exposure to things that other, they're not nearly as exposed to things that people are falling victim to and their exposures and things people want to be in. So that's what, but, but, that's why Texas Instruments has been rewarded with the valuation that they get. I mean, it is expensive when you compare it to, let's call it Qualcomm or something like that. I mean, it probably trades twice the valuation of a name like Qualcomm and maybe deservedly <laughs> so. I mean, I've been sort of trying to 
uh, put pawn at the bear case <laughs> in Texas Instruments for quite some time. And there have been a number of times that that's worked. But to your point, the relative outperformance or relative performance vis-a-vis its peers is something to take into consideration. Again, I don't think we're getting to that downtrend line, um, but is there another 4 or 5% to the upside? On Probably yes. Yeah, all right. Well, let's look at the SMH, the ETF that tracks the Philly Semiconductor Index that obviously um, – you know, no Texan, tech, Texan is the the fourth largest holding, five and a half percent. The largest holding is Taiwan Semiconductor, which has absolutely gotten obliterated this year. Nvidia is the second largest, which has obviously also gotten obliterated here. You look at this thing; it's down forty percent from its highs this year. It's down nearly forty percent um, on the year here. It's had a nice little bounce here, but <clears throat> it's kind of interesting to put some of these bounces in context. You know, that's maybe thirteen, fourteen percent from that intraday low two weeks ago. Um, but it doesn't really make it doesn't make a difference on the chart. It looks like there's a lot of overhead technical resistance near term, you know, in that kind of $200 level. And it really is, it, without NVIDIA, this thing can't rally. Yeah, and we'll speak to Carter. I'm sure this will come up tomorrow. And he'll look at this and say pair of twos here, and he's probably right. And to your point, without a couple of those bellwether names, it's not going to rally. And this is not traded particularly well. And if you look at it, the eyeball test suggests moving averages now rolling over, sloping lower. That's not particularly encouraging. And you have a series of lower highs and lower lows. And, you know, we can break that, I guess, with another 8% move to the upside. And if you think you're going to get that, maybe you play for that sloping lower 50-day moving average. I think that's, or is that the one, I'm sorry, I can't tell on the screen. Anyway, maybe you play for the 150. My point is, um, right here, I think you're flipping coins if you All really right. want to know the truth. Fair enough. We got a couple minutes left, guy. We just want to hit a couple of stocks, um, or that, well, at least a couple names, and how I'm trading them right here. And I just want to give kind of a quick update on Snap. You know, this is one when it had that huge 40% gap in July. I set it on market call. I was buying it, um, and you know, I, I got my average to kind of below or in and around 10 bucks. I sold mm-hmm. a little as it was kind of banging around in a very tight range over the course of the summer, um, you know, up near 13 or so. I had a, a, a position heading into the print. It was down 30% on Friday. I bought a lot and, and uh, you know, averaging down here. And again, that's not always a great thing unless you kind of have conviction. I thought the market was totally overreacting in this name. I got my average to below $8. Okay. So again, when you're trading some of these things, you don't go into what could be a binary event in a name like this when you have earnings and a very conflicted investor base you have the potential for those sort of gaps that we've seen so now i have an average below eight it's trying to fill in that gap a little bit. You see that kind of, um, you know, those consolidations that it's been in. I don't think like once I get to that gap, I'm probably taking off a big slug of this, taking a profit. But here's my long-term view. I look at this thing with a 13 or $14 billion enterprise value. And if you look at it since its inception in 2017 as a publicly traded company, I thought the worst case scenario, you know, you had that COVID low, which was basically a match low on Friday morning. That's where I bought a bunch of stock. And then in 2019, it was trading, I think, maybe five and a half or something like that. I thought that was my worst case scenario. And you've been saying this as I've been kind of updating my trading of this thing. You could also see this thing for a whole host of reasons up 100 or 200 percent in the not so distant future if you get a few things right. So the risk reward to me is down like two and up maybe like five or six. I, I Yeah, I think there's a very good chance you see a 150 percent move from here. It doesn't mean the company's fixed and it doesn't mean, quite frankly, the stock is fixed. But that's been... You've had patterns like this before in a number of names. And if you look at the low we recently made, and I pointed it out, I think, on Fast Money or maybe and or Market Call, 
we, we did it on three and a half, four times normal volume, which to me reeks of capitulation. So I like what you're doing here, and I think you're going to wind up doing extraordinarily well with this. It's funny. you know, Somebody tweeted me the other day, and I don't always read my tweets or the, the response. I actually don't read many of them, and not because um, I don't care what people have to say. I mean, I glaze through them, and if they're kind of nasty, a lot more nasty, then I just kind of don't look at them. But if they're nice, I try to respond to things. And, you know, people... People were like, you know, I hope you get fast fired for this, that, whatever. And listen, people, when it comes to trading, man, you know, um, you know, like you got to have your own plan. You got to have your own risk tolerance. You got to have your own sizing in place or whatever. I mean, just because someone says I'm long something, that doesn't mean they're long a full position. You don't know what they're they're doing or whatever. You know, I replaced some stock with call spreads. I talked about it on market call. I was defining my risk on a certain portion of the position. The other portion, I knew there was a chance I could be down 30% on, but I was also setting myself up to buy a lot if I had a big gap lower. So that just is what it is. So there's your update on that. One last thing, guy. We talked about Chinese stocks briefly um, on fat well for a while last night on fast money the last thing I did trading yesterday was buy some December mm-hmm. calls in the FXI five of the largest names in there they're all Hong Kong listed it's Alibaba it's Baidu it's Tencent it's NetEase Medawan JD these are all internet names yeah you could do it with KWeb I thought it was about as close to capitulation as possible so I was looking out to December expiration when the uh FXI was trading about 21 and a half. I bought the December 22 calls, paying about a dollar 18 or 19 for those. Up a little bit today, up a couple percent on a move, well above 22. If those are in the money anytime soon, I'll look to spread them by selling. Maybe if you just look at this chart, I want to get your take on this. You know, that breakdown level guy that we had here, this feels capitulatory. Maybe you get back towards 26. And I just want to make one point. Back in the spring, look at that capitulation on the gaps in the FXI. Look Look at the rally that it had off of those lows that I highlighted here. So that's my target to the upside. And then when you look at the 10-year chart of the FXI, man, oh, man. I mean, you could easily get back to 26, 27 just on just a kind of calming of the fears about what's going on over there. That's the point I made on Fast Money last night. You know, I've said since basically this time, 2020, when Alibaba was north of $300, making an all-time high, since that very defined downtrend, we made a five-year low, I think, yesterday in Alibaba, or four-and-a-half, five-year low. I said, you know, despite the fact that we've seen that today, you've probably seen a half dozen times, if not more, 35 to 50 percent moves to the upside in this name along the way. And I said, we might be on the verge of something like that yesterday, given the volume we saw in Alibaba. And I said, you go back to 4th of July and see what happened. I think the stock rallied 35 percent, 40 percent in three trading sessions. And you can be on a precipice of something like that right now. Again, it doesn't mean these companies are fixed, the stocks are fixed, but they're all trading instruments. And you have to, to your earlier point, if you define your risk and wait for these opportunities, which inevitably arise, as we point out, I think you're going to be far better for it, Dan. Well, I'm far better for being here with you on Market Call, guy. We ran late today. I, I apologize, folks. But that's it for today's Market Call. Tomorrow, Wednesday is a big day, by the way, as you know. We'll get into that in a second. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group. I want to thank FactSet for providing all the charts and data. Obviously, Open Exchange for powering us. Tomorrow, we're back with Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter's on Monday and Wednesday. Love him. And Tom Sosnoff of Tasty Trade. We'll see you later, folks. Thanks, guys.